Where do you live? I told you, with my mother. Well, where does she live? 179th Street in the Bronx. All right, I'll take you to the subway. Like hell you will. You'll buy me a cab. Why'd all you dames have to live in the Bronx? You mean you bring other girls up here? Certainly not. I'm a happily married man. If you're having marital problems, many times sexual problems, with me today I have Michelle Weiner Davis, who's the author of The Sex-Starved Marriage, in Boosting Your Marriage Libido, A Couple's Guide, and it is a fabulous book. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Michelle, I, when I read your book, I just, I was dumbfounded. I felt like you hit just about every problem that I've ever run across is in terms of a sexual problem in therapy. And I want to ask how how many marriages how many people go through marriages where the, the sexual life has basically died you know I don't know that I can give you exact numbers what I can tell you is that the number one problem that's reported particularly to sex therapists uh, in regards to sexual issues that really creates havoc in a relationship is about a sexual desire gap and I really refer to it the as the sex starved marriage but Ellen, let me define that for you because unlike what maybe some of your folks might be thinking it's not just a marriage where there is no sex um, a sex starved marriage is a marriage where one spouse is desperately longing for more touch more physical closeness more sex and the other spouse for a variety of reasons isn't interested in thinks, okay, what's the big deal? It's just about sex. But to the spouse yearning for more touch, it's a huge deal because it's about feeling wanted. It's about feeling loved. It's about feeling connected. It's about feeling close. And when this major disconnect or misunderstanding happens in marriage, what also tends to happen is that intimacy on all levels tends to drop out. They stop sitting next to each other on the couch. They stop laughing at each other's jokes. They stop doing things together. They stop being friends. And when that occurs, it often uh, places the marriage at risk of infidelity and even divorce. Um, and that's the reason I wanted to get the message out to people that you cannot afford to be complacent about a relationship or about a marriage where there isn't touch. Even if it's not the first thing on your mind, you can't ignore that there's a problem. So if the woman's saying, you know, I've had it, because typically it's the woman, although you do make a point of saying that it's very difficult for men who have lower sexual desire. Uh, but if the woman is saying, I've had it, uh, I, all these years I've just been pleasing you, I'm sick of sex, I could live my whole life without sex, thank you. What's going on there? Where would you begin with a, a couple that's having that type of a problem? Well, first let me backtrack just a little bit. Um, I think, as I wrote in this book, Ellen, that um, low sexual desire in men, though while maybe less common than in women, but I still think it's America's best kept secret. There are millions and millions of men out there who aren't interested in sex. And when I say that, I know a lot of people think, well, that must be because they're having sexual performance problems. And sometimes that's true. But what I've learned in my work with couples is that oftentimes men 
have sexual machinery that works just fine, thank you, but they're not interested in sex for many of the same reasons that women aren't interested in sex. As a matter of fact, just this morning before uh, you and I are talking here, I had a couple, and that was precisely the case, that he felt um, that she was critical and she was demanding and it hurt his feelings, and he just simply wasn't interested in touching her. And a lot of people would think that that's a role reversal. Well, it's a whole lot more common than people think. Guys just don't talk about it. And when they and don't talk about it, that means they're not getting help. It also means that the women with whom, to whom they're married are very isolated, and they're thinking that there must be something wrong with them as women if their husbands aren't attracted to them. And I want to get the word out that, again, this is much more commonplace than people think. But back to your original question about, like, what do you do? You know, it's interesting. No one talks about this either, the fact that <clears throat> the person with low, lower sexual, with a smaller sexual appetite is almost always the one to control the sexual relationship. Um, they're the person who has a headache or isn't interested, and that typically is what plays itself out in the, in the marriage. And we have an agreement in many, many marriages in our country, which goes something like this. I'm not interested in sex. I know I'm not uh, fulfilling your sexual needs, but I expect you to be monogamous, and I expect you not to complain about it. And I'm telling you that that is an unfair and unworkable arrangement, and I think it accounts for much of the infidelity that we see in our country. And so am I saying that people who have lower desire should just do whatever their more high-desire spouse um, is, wants them to do? Well, the answer is yes and no. Before I get into that, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm you know, prompting a question and you not allowing me to do all the talking here. Oh, no, I love it. Okay. In fact, that was one of the quotes I had about, I expect you to be monogamous, but don't expect me to fulfill your sexual desires. Exactly. And in the fact that it happens both ways, um, you did mention that that there is that men suffer from some of the same problems, and I wondered if you could address some of those. Well, I can. I'll just give you an example. You know, okay. back in I think back in the seventies, um, we asked women to run off to um, assertiveness training groups so that they can get more in touch with their strengths and their ability to make decisions and ask for what they need. And women did that, and I think women's roles have changed in terms of being better at, uh, you know asking for what they need. And at the same time, we ask men to run off to sensitivity training groups and get more in touch with their feminine side, their feelings, and really tap into who they are inside. Well, men did that, and now we not only um, are hoping, but we expect men to be strong and go out in the world and earn an income, but we also expect them to talk to us about what's really going on with them and to be more in touch with that. Well, I'm, I'm seen in my office all the time. Men whose feelings get hurt, men who feel downtrodden or depressed or they don't like their bodies or um, they feel like, again, like this man this morning, that his wife is too demanding. I see, I've had a rash of uh, men in my practice who have been laid off of work and the toll that that takes on who they think they are in the world and, uh, and in relationship to themselves and their wives. Um, so how a man feels inside has a great deal to do with his interest in being physically intimate. And the same way that it does for women, I think that's a real uh, misunderstanding because so 
so often what we hear about um, are guys being the ones chasing their wives around the house with a permanent erection, and women who are saying, you know what, in order for me to be physical with you, I first want to feel emotionally close to you. I need you to talk to me. I need you to spend time with me. I can't fathom why you'd be interested in having sex when this isn't in place. And when women try to explain to themselves why in the world their husbands might be interested in being sexual if they're not feeling particularly emotionally close, what they tell themselves is that for men, sex must be a biological urge. It's like scratching an itch. And I can tell you that while that may be true sometimes, the, the men in my practice have told me, you know, hands down, that it really is much, much more than that for them, that it is about, as I said before, feeling wanted and feeling masculine and feeling whole, feeling connected. And and this misunderstanding in marriage, more than anything else, I think is what leads to the kinds of problems you and I as therapists see um, in our offices on day by day. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This is Michelle Weiner-Davis. She's the author of The Sex-Starved Marriage, Boosting Your Marriage Libido, A Couple's Guide. And you can also go to your website, which is... Divorcebusting.com. Okay, and you've written several other books, too. That's Thank you. correct. Thank you so much for joining us Thanks today, for Michelle. Me. Okay, and you can also get her book on my website, drkenner.com. It's been great being with you this week, and I look forward to joining you again next week on The Rational Basis of Happiness. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner. Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner. A person who understands themselves makes for a better romantic partner, and the skill of introspection greatly helps here. Introspection means looking inwards at the contents and processes of your own mind and identifying what you're thinking and feeling. Why does it matter whether or not you understand yourself? First, you need introspection for self-esteem. Introspection enables you to monitor your own mental habits and processes and determine whether you're in focus or not. That is, whether you're actively thinking, mindlessly drifting, or deliberately unfocusing your mind, for example, using defenses. Mental focus is necessary to be in control of your life. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com. And you can buy The Selfish Path to Romance at amazon.com.